Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little. This is season three, episode 13. And before I even get started, I'm going to go ahead and apologize for my nasally tone. I uh, got stuck with the crud that seems like half the U.S. has right now. And I wasn't sure if it was a cold or a flu or what, but it didn't matter. It just knocked me out last week. So I still got the lingering effects of that, which is, you know, so much fun. But I wanted to get an episode out to you guys this week. Kind of flubbed myself up by not trying to schedule people in December to prep for January, thinking that a few things would fall into place easily in January. And they didn't. Uh, So timing wise, it's a little bit wonky. So you get just another episode of me again today. Um, but I hope to have more uh, guests on very soon. I definitely have, to, have two people lined up for sure, and I'm coordinating with other people at the moment. So bear with me if you like those episodes more than you like the ones with me just talking. So today I'm going to talk about seeds, all about seeds. Well, not really. I'm not going to go too crazy on seed starting or any kind of beginner type thing. What I'm talking about is my order of seeds that came in uh, last week, which kind of cheered me up when I was sick. Um, First, to kind of go back a little bit, my friend Shell uh, and I and my brother used to run a website called SproutDispatch.com, and it was kind of a garden collaborative. We wrote, we each had spots during the week that we would write about our garden, and we were pretty consistent for about two, two and a half, three years. Uh, my brother dropped off somewhere in there, but um, Shell and I were really consistent for a while. And uh, Shell lives in Naples in uh, southwest Florida, uh, Marco Island, actually. And anyway, so she has that nice Florida tropical garden uh, vibe going. And we just kind of become great friends over the years. And um, anyway, she went through Hurricane Irma back in September. And I kind of tried to keep tabs on her pretty frequently because of the storm's path ended up turning and pretty much going right over Marco Island. (laughs) So needless to say, I was really concerned for her. She ended up having to stay due to some family circumstances. She couldn't evacuate. And um, it was just, uh, you know, kind of worrisome there for a while. But I stayed in contact. She's fine. Her house is miraculously fine. Um... You know, she did lose some plants and the, her lanai where she gardened was destroyed. And But, you know, in all in all, it could have been worse. And definitely there were people around the area who did have it worse. Um, they escaped the storm surge. But uh, other areas like Everglades City and Chekolusky did not. Uh, it's kind of weird how those things go where the, the tidal surges ended up um, going. So... Anyway, so just for thanking me as a little uh, thank you back in December, I got a $50 uh, gift certificate to Botanical Interest from her. So I was very surprised. I don't really seed shop online that often, mostly because of the shipping charges. I've found they seem to be getting a little bit egregious, frankly. Um, So I have to really be searching for something, wanting something that I cannot find at a local plant nursery or the big box store seed section. Um, so if I can't find it there, then I will try to find it online. And my husband will buy stuff off of eBay sometimes from other people just selling their seeds. But in general, it's it, 
we've actually had a hard time wanting to buy seeds online just because of the way shipping fees have been increased. And it seems like almost inappropriately. Um, I don't know. That's just my little rant on that. I don't know if anybody else can agree to that or not, but that's just something I've noticed. But I did take advantage of this gift certificate. Um, it was to botanical interests. Uh, so just put that up front. They're not, you know, sponsors or anything, but that's just where I ordered the seeds from because that's where the gift certificate came from. And I do like their seeds. Um, actually, they seem to be what is supplied at a lot of the local nurseries. Uh, sometimes you'll see um, uh, Baker Creek, but it definitely seemed like botanical interest is the one that's out there the most. But anyway, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through all of my order and I'm basically going to read what's on the seed packet or if I know of anything else about the, uh, the plant from or reasons why I bought it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll put that in there too. I did try to, I started trying to do a little bit of research on some of it, but frankly, a lot of it is just, you know, standard seed package kind of information. So I'm going to stick with that. And I figured that most people might not be that knowledgeable about some of it anyway. So it might be interesting just, um, to have the basic information. So, and I have a bunch of seeds, so I don't want to make this podcast super long, but long enough to be informative. So we'll start with, uh, Holy Basil Tulsi. Um, it is Osimum Sanctum is the, uh, scientific name and it is a basil. And, um, I first really started seeing this from Gayla Trail of You Grow Girl. Um, she grows a lot of interesting, medicinal and herbal, um, plants. And this is one of them. <clears throat> so I've always wanted to grow it. And I have actually seen other people grow this too, because you can make a tea out of it. And it's not, I don't think it's like your typical basil, like, you know, throwing basil on your pesto, that type of thing. Um, so I'm kind of curious what it's going to taste like on the back of the seed packet. It says it is known as a queen of herbs in India and it is considered to be sacred, and supposedly it has a bunch of health-promoting properties, which when I did Google this, there was a ton of sites that came up touting various ills that it would cure. <laughs> so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I'm sure it's beneficial and healthful, but I don't know about total cures and all that good stuff. Uh, it says the plants are very fragrant, and it makes a delicious tea that's... Um, like a spicy clove, fruity, or an anise-like aroma. So, um, that sounds kind of interesting. Uh, my basils don't taste like that usually, right? Um, looks like seed dups about a quarter of an inch, merges five to ten days, you know, and it's a basil, so it wants warm weather germination. So, I think I'm going to start these soon under my grow lights with my tomatoes. Um, another one is another basil. This is called lemon, uh, basil, but it's Mrs. Burns lemon basil, Osimum citrodorum. And, um, honestly, I bought this because it had a giant juicy lemon on the seed packet <laughs> to signify that it was lemon basil. And it just looked really tasty. And I, all I could think was like having lemon basil in the summer <laughs> with some tomatoes and, uh, cheese. So that's kind of, um, why I bought it. So good advertising, y'all. <laughs> um, 
it looks great. And I did see online that this is an heirloom. It uh, looks like maybe it was saved by a woman out of New Mexico in the 1930s um, coming that came from her neighbor. So, I don't know. Seemed kind of like an interesting history. Um, the next one is Dill Bouquet, uh, Ananthemum graviolens. And um, I just kind of looked up Bouquet versus Mammoth Dill quickly. It looks like Mammoth gets starts out at a minimum 30 inches tall and just kind of keeps on going. Whereas bouquet kind of tops out at about 36 inches. So it's, you know, not as tall as mammoth, but I need more dill. I don't have, uh, I didn't, I made a mistake last year when I was saving my dill seeds. I put a lid on too early. They weren't dried out enough and I, they molded. So I put those in the compost. So I needed some more dill seeds to go out there. And my son really likes just eating dill straight from the garden. And, um, I also want to attract some swallowtail butterfly caterpillars this year. Um, maybe try to raise them with the monarchs. Um, another dill that looked just really weird and interesting. It's, I don't know, the leaves and the overall habit of the plant looked weird. It's called tetra dill. Same, uh, species as the last one, but apparently, so I was looking up tetra, what it meant, and one website suggested it was a tetraploid, um, dill plant, and tetraploid, oh goodness, it's been a hot minute since I've done genetics, <laughs> I had just to do with a number of chromosomes in the cells, yeah, I'm gonna totally butcher that at the moment, because I'm not being very botanical. I will link to that in the show notes, what tetrapoidy is. I just read about it, but I'm not being very articulate. Um, anyway, but that's where a tetra name comes from. And it says it's heat tolerant and slow to bolt, which is definitely helpful um, for me. Um, the next one is Shiso Perilla, green and red, and it's Perilla frutescens. And this is another one that I had seen um, Gala talk about quite a lot in adding into her culinary dishes. Oh, hey, and it says it's deer resistant. Well, it's going to be grown inside my edible garden, but this that's helpful to know if I wanted to grow it in my flower garden. But it is a uh, herb used in a lot of Asian dishes, and it's called Japanese basil or beefsteak plant, and kind of says it's described as like a cinnamon, mint, or clove with overtones of cumin. Um, so I definitely saw a lot of recipes on that in there and on, on Google <laughs> for uh, using this. I'm very curious how this is going to grow for me and if I'm going to like it. Um, okay, it says 5 to 21 days to emerge. So that's kind of a long period of time. So maybe if you sow it, don't give up too soon. And it looks like you just press them into the surface, so don't even barely cover them. And, oh, you could sew them, or um, put them in your fridge to um, cold stratify for a little bit if you wanted. But don't, it doesn't look like you have to do that. I don't know. It looked interesting to me. The next one, I haven't grown in a couple years, is Calendula. This is the Pacific Beauty Blend, uh, Calendula officinalis. Um, I grew some Calendula a couple years ago. I never really got seed. It never really did well in my garden. It kind of acted as an annual. 
I don't know if it was because it um, got too hot, but it's deer resistant and calendula is inedible. You can eat it. A lot of people use it like medicinally um, for, as a tea. I see a lot of calendula used in soaps and salves and things like that. Um, it just, I wanted to re, re-add it back to the garden. I didn't have any more seeds. And it's also a, a little bit of a slower germinator, 5 to 15 days as well. Next one is uh, Echinacea purple coneflower. So Echinacea purpurea. Um, I got a wild hair and said, said that, hey, I could try growing this companion planting along in my edible garden this year because the deer love echinacea. Um, we've had some in the past, but they do not have, <laughs> we don't have any more because of the deer. So, um, that's why I wanted to try these as well. Man, these are a lot of slow emerging seeds, 10 to 20 days for this one. Good to know. And I also got a, um, cultivar called white swan echinacea. And it's just the same Echinacea purpurea, but it's white. I thought it would be interesting. Okay. Oh, yes. This is a hard-shelled spinning gourd, Curcubita pipo. And I have had pretty good luck with gooseneck gourds in the last few years. And I just kind of thought I'd just change things up and maybe try to grow these next year. They look really small, and you can use them as, it looks like they're called... Um, a spinning tops, like kids would play with them as like a spinning top, you know, um, you can use crafts and decor, uh, et cetera. I don't know. It looked really cool. And I thought I would give it a whirl. The next is nasturtium black velvet and this tropolium minus. And nasturtiums are kind of tricky for us because of our seasons. Um, Typically, we have grown them in the winter. This winter has been too cold for that. Um, and they definitely don't like the heat of the sun. But if it can grow them in a shady area, not too shady because they will get leggy and they won't grow well. But if I can grow them in a par- partly shady area in the summer, I have gotten them to kind of over summer. Um, you know, they're edible as well. And um, I don't know. They are a deep maroon. I would say. Okay, this next one I should have not impulse purchased <laughs> after reading about it. <clears throat> it is Palmer's Pinstemon, Pinstemon Palmeri, and it's a beautiful pink flower. And uh, I just happened to look it up to see where it was actually um, native to in the U.S. <laughs> And it's a Western native and my garden is way too music for this plant. But, um, I think I have a couple areas that I may try it in, see if I can germinate them and then transplant them into our dryer beds, um, and see if they will grow there. Um, I've had, we've had pinstemons in the past, but they've never really, they've always faded out after a little bit. We've never been able to have them grow for a long and this is a 14 to 21 day germination. Uh, okay, the next two, I've got poppies. I've got black swan and Lauren's grape. And I've grown Lauren's grape uh, before, a couple years. The first two years we were in 
we had our flower garden and they did really great. And I've never really been able to get them established. Well, again, I'm not sure if we just have too much leaf litter now or what's going on in the flower bed. I tried last year, but I never got anything, uh, to happen with them, but I really love them. They're stunning, gorgeous poppies. Um, and I've been in love with them ever since I grew them. I just haven't had a chance to get them growing again. And black swan is kind of a, I don't know, how would you say leafy looking flower? Um, I'm sure there's a more technical term for this. Um, but it is, looks just as pretty and it's deer resistant as well. Okay. Now you can't be a Texan without growing some blue bonnets. And this is not Lupinus texensis. This is Lupinus perennis, the sundial lupine. And it's a little bit bigger. And I just wanted to have a little bit of different variety than the Lupinus texensis that we normally grow. And, um, kind of wanted to just throw these out in like a flower bed and see how they would establish. Now, normally we sow our blue bonnet seeds and wildflower seeds in like October, November. So then cold stratify. So I actually may hold onto these until this coming fall and sow them then. All right. Now this is the cucamelon, the mouse melon, um, Melothria scabra. I've wanted to grow this for many years now and I've just never broke them down and bought them. <laughs> and, um, we have a wild plant called Melothria pendula, uh, here that I don't think is considered to really be too edible. I think the foraging Texas website said you have to eat it at a certain stage and they can be bitter otherwise. But, um, this is an edible Melothria and, um, you know, the kind of the stars of the little, of the garden world, when you see them, uh, show up in your Instagram feed or blogs in the summertime. And I've always wanted to grow them. So I'm going to try it. We'll see how tasty they actually are or if they're kind of overrated and more for looks. Okay. Now I'm really looking forward to this pepper. It's called habanada. And I saw several people grow this last year and just rave about it. And, um, this is actually a more expensive seed packet. It was three fifty, and you only get 10 seeds. So I think it's relatively new to the market or they just don't have a ton of seeds. I'm not sure, but anyway, it's called habanada because there's no heat and it's like, I guess like a sweet habanero pepper. And we definitely like some hot pepper here, but we don't like tons, you know, mostly for salsa. We don't really put a ton of peppers in our, our dishes that we cook but I can get behind a sweet pepper. We had a Carmen pepper last year and it was so good. Like when we cooked it, you could, it didn't have that pepper aftertaste. So I'm kind of hoping maybe this does the same thing. All right. Now I am going to go back to another edible here. Um, the daikon radish, uh, Mayashigi white. <laughs> You're gonna have to apologize if I, if I mess that up there. Um, we grew daikon radishes a couple of years ago, really liked them. And again, I just grow some of the stuff and I run out of seed and I just kind of fade out and I'm like, well, I'll try to buy it when I see it. And then I never see it. So I have to buy it online. And, um, I wanted to finally add this back into the garden. So 
I'll probably get these growing um, here soon in the garden because I've been getting some more radishes uh, in the next couple months. Now this is pretty cool looking. It's called a pink banana winter squash. And it's kind of elongated. It looks like it's like a peachy pink color. And apparently it's an heirloom introduced in 1893 and supposedly common in American pioneer gardens. Um, I don't know. I'd like to branch out. I had so much success with the seminal pumpkins this year. I'm hoping I'd like to find other squashes and pumpkins that I know will be successful to our squash vine borers. Um, so I thought I would give it a whirl. We'll see. Now I've got two tomatoes, um, that I'm going to give fall tomatoes one last chance. I've had not that great of success. You know, Texas supposedly can get the second growing season in the fall, but I feel like we have this weird window that you get these plants growing in. It stays hot too long. And then we finally get the blooms because the temperatures will drop but then we have a freeze. And so unless you're covering them and meticulous with that, your tomatoes are going to die. So thought I would try these. They're called Glacier and Red Siberian. And they both said they could handle cold temperatures and I mean, not freezing, but you know, maybe a light frost or it gets to 34 or something like that. Um, so I thought I would try these two next year. This is my last chance for fall tomatoes. I'm really, really trying. I really want them. And I thought, hey, why don't I flip the switch here? This is what I'm trying to do. What northerners who have a short growing season are trying to do. Maybe I need to try that. So we'll see <clears throat> if the experiment uh, bears any fruit. Uh, I got a cool Gallardia, Gallardia Mesa Yellow, and it's a hybrid of the Grandiflora species. And I am a Gallardia fanatic. I love regular old Gallardia Pulchella and Gallardia Aestivalis. Um, and I've had a couple different hybrids in the garden before. And again, like normal stuff, they just fade out, whatever growing conditions change. And I thought I would add those back in this year. Okay, the last, last one is New Zealand spinach, Tetragonia tetragonoides. And this is considered a heat tolerant substitute for spinach. So you can grow greens in the summertime. Now I've grown Malabar spinach before. And if you've had Malabar spinach, it's kind of, um, mucilaginous, mucil, yeah, slimy. <laughs> and I didn't particularly like it. So I tried to put it in a smoothie. No, that made the smoothie just gross. Um, I'm sure other people are able to cook it well. It's a beautiful plant. I just don't really want to have it in my garden if I'm not going to use it, taking up that space. So I have new of New, new Zealand spinach. I've also heard of chaya as well as uh, for a summer green. So I thought I would give this a try. It looks like it's one to two feet tall, one to three feet wide. And, you know, definitely want to sow it when the soil temperatures are so 70 to 80 degrees. So it's going to be a warmer uh, warmer green. Hopefully it can work. Um, oh, here, other information. New Zealand spinach was discovered by Sir Joseph Banks in New Zealand during the 1770 voyage of Captain James Cook. 
found to contain large amounts of vitamin C. It was therefore served to prevent scurvy. So, eh, we'll see. Um, I hope it tastes good. If you had New Zealand spinach, I'd like to hear what you think, if it tastes, uh, tastes any good. And it's another long germinator, 10 to 20 days. So that was my seed order. They sent me a thank you, um, of masculine lettuce and a calendar, I believe. So that's the biggest order I've had in a long time for many kind of seed companies. So it was kind of a, like a holiday Christmas bonus to get that, uh, last week, especially when I was sick. Anyway, let me know what you've ordered this year. I know a lot of y'all are pouring over seed catalogs right now because you're bundled up because it's cold. Tell me what you ordered. Tell me what I need to still order or give me ideas and hints for next year. So, hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please, if you want to email me, gardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And I would love it if you were, um, if you would like and rate and review and subscribe and all that good stuff in all those different places. And I'm on Instagram at the garden path podcast. So hopefully I won't have too much garden damage. We're going to have a wintry mix come in tomorrow and we'll just see what happens. It could be snow, it could be ice. It's just going to be a mess. I know that much because we don't get that kind of nasty stuff this far South usually, and no one's prepared. So Thanks for listening, and next week I'll be back with another episode. 